1: Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, February 17, 2022. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Jared Dillian of the Daily Dirt Nap. Uh, let's take a look at U.S. equity markets right off the bat. Uh, not a good day uh, across the board. Looks like SP 500 bouncing around a little bit, closing out down uh, 2.12%. Uh, that's down to 4380 uh, right now. Big loser of the day, the biggest loser of the day, I should say, NASDAQ composite off. Two spot eight, eight percent, nearly three percent, closing out the day at thirteen thousand seven hundred sixteen. Dow Jones industrial average also off significantly, minus one point seven eight percent on the day, closing out at thirty-four thousand three hundred and eleven. Uh gold price on the day, I think it's up about one and a half percent. Uh, close, looking at right now, like eighteen eighty, excuse me, eighteen ninety eight, one thousand eight hundred and ninety eight dollars per ounce on gold. Geopolitics once again in the headlines. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken saying the risk of Russian attack in Ukraine remains, quote, very high. Secretary of State offering a meeting to his counterpart Sergey Lazarov. Lots to talk about. Uh, lots of speculation about inflation and rate hikes. Couldn't be happier to have Jared Dillion with us today to talk about it all. Jared, welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing.
2: Yo, how's it going?
1: Oh, it's going great, man. It's great to be back with you, dude. I, I missed doing these shows with you. Uh, so, we haven't done these uh, for a couple of weeks at least. Jared, what's on your radar in terms of the big picture 50,000 foot overview of what's happening in these markets right now?
2: You know, uh, I spent a lot of time looking at charts today and. Um, This is what I think is going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Um, I think we have a lot more downside in stocks. I think bond yields have topped. Uh, I think um, bonds are going to rip from here. We priced in too many rate hikes. We priced in seven rate hikes. Uh, About half of those are going to get taken back. Um, I think oil is going to correct significantly. And I think gold is going to continue up until about 1920. runs into some resistance at 1920. Uh, But once you get through 1920, the next stop is 2060, the previous highs. And then after that, who knows?
1: Well, what's your time horizon for that outlook, uh, Jared, as you talk about and think about gold?
2: Uh, I would say over the next six months, um, you know, once we get through the previous highs, uh, it's going to be like a hot knife going through butter. Mm. Um, The next stop, I really think, is 2500 an ounce. Uh, and I think we could get there this year. I think that's very possible.
1: That's quite a call, 2,500 an ounce on gold this year. Uh, it's interesting, Jared, you know, if, if someone had given you the inflation data points that we've seen uh, print over the last, call at 60 days uh, and told you that gold uh, would still be under 1,900, that would be a bit of a paradox. How do you think about that and how markets are pricing uh, this inflation data, which has been pretty significant?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've been watching gold for a long time and, you know, it didn't really respond to the, you know, it went up a little bit during the pandemic and it didn't really respond to inflation. So people got to a point where, you know, you just had this, um, people threw they threw in the towel on gold. They said, it's, it's useless. You know, if inflation is seven and a half percent and gold's not going up, what am I holding this thing for? Right. Um, but what you've seen in the past couple of weeks, is a big reversal between crypto and gold. I mean, gold has gone straight up and crypto has gone straight down. I don't know if it was the last couple of weeks, maybe it's this week. Um, but, you know, I think that's going to continue in the future. And the thing about gold is that it really, I would say more than any other asset, it follows the charts. It really follows the charts. Hmm. Uh, it, it, like if you look at, you know, people look at money supply, they look at interest rates, negative interest rates, the budget deficit. And, you know, all this stuff has been screaming by gold for the last two years and it hasn't worked. Well, it just, it you know, it's going to work when it works and you just got to wait for the chart to play out. And now that it has, I mean, this, this wedge pattern that gold has done over the last two and a half years is one of the longest, strongest consolidations in any chart I've ever seen, which means that the next move higher is going to be very impulsive.
1: Yeah. Uh, so let me ask you also about these geopolitical tensions that we're seeing uh, in Ukraine right now. How do you factor that into your models? How do you think about it and how do you process it in terms of its implications for markets?
2: Well, in terms of the playbook I just gave you was stocks going down and bonds going up and gold going up. I mean, all that, you know, the charts are telling me that there will be an invasion. And I don't, I don't know how serious it's going to be. I don't know if Ukraine is going to fight back or, you know, how... How many people are going to get killed? I really don't know, but I do think there's going to be an invasion. And I think that, uh, it was not going to happen during the Olympics because the Olympics are a time of peace. So I think it's going to happen to after the Olympics, the end of the Olympics is on Sunday. So I think perhaps it could happen next week. So that's what I'm thinking.
1: Yeah. You mentioned uh, cryptocurrency digital assets. Let's review a couple of these numbers here, uh, particularly Bitcoin, uh, trading right now at $40,993 on a trailing 24-hour basis. That's minus 7.2%. Uh, Ethereum uh, trading at 2,909, 2,909, 24-hour basis, off 7.9% as well. It looks like uh, that what we're seeing here is stocks uh, correlated with digital assets rather than the safe haven play, uh, which is something that you were alluding to earlier, Jared.
2: Uh, I, I think you mean crypto correlated with, did uh, you, you mean crypto?
1: Crypto and yeah, stocks. Yeah. yeah, crypto trading yeah, basically yeah, yeah. relative yeah. to stocks rather than as a safe haven play like gold.
2: Yeah, I mean Nasdaq's down three percent today. You know, all it, it was—it's—it's it's the same stuff that's been happening for the last couple of months ever since we put in the top in stocks. It's been all the unprofitable tech that's getting killed today. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I don't like—I take a long-term view on crypto. You know, I hold some crypto. I have a—I have a portfolio of it of a bunch of different stuff, and uh, I—you know—I used to sweat about it when I first bought it, I was checking it like every five minutes, but I honestly, I don't even really look at it anymore. I'll check it in five years.
1: (laughs) That's a very philosophical position. Um, You know, you mentioned... Uh, the uh, the asset classes here. Let's take a look at uh, stocks here uh, by GICS classification. Uh, precisely to your point, Jared, big loser on the day, information technology, minus one spot, three percent So off nearly 2% on the tech stocks. On the flip side, uh, energy up 4.7% on the day. So quite a dispersion there. Uh, after uh, information technology, next biggest loser, uh, communication services -1.69% uh, and then consumer discretionary -1.38% on the day, Jared.
2: Yeah, oil is due, you know, energy is due for a correction. It's had a it's had a just a fantastic run. And, you know, I've talked to some people over the last couple of weeks, some people who work in the energy industry and they're telling me that, you know, oil is not done going up and you know, they see 150 or $200 oil in the long term. But in the short term, I think you're going to get a pretty decent-sized tradable correction. Um, I think crude could go down to below 80 uh, over the next couple of weeks. So we'll see. We're going to take a quick break
1: and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision daily briefing.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lipson Ads. Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N Ads.com.
1: Uh, let's take a look at crude prices uh, right now, trading at 91 spot 61 a barrel on uh, WTI U.S. benchmark price out of Cushing, Oklahoma. Uh, I'm curious what you think about the natural gas space. Nat gas is something that we've been hearing about uh, here in regard uh, to uh, the Ukraine situation. Uh, The United States is the first largest producer, the largest producer. Uh, Second is Russia. Natural gas here on NYMEX trading NG1 at uh, $4.52 off uh, about 4%, uh, it looks like, uh, here on the day.
2: Yeah, I don't have any specific thoughts on that, but I will say, you know, the the whole energy complex is due for a correction. So I think gas is going to go with oil in the short term, in the short term.
1: And longer term, Jared?
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, one of the things I keep hearing is that um, there's really not a lot of investment in E&P, even with oil prices at these levels. I mean, if you went back to 2014, and you had oil at a hundred bucks. Like you had so much money pouring into the space uh, for investment, and it—it's actually not happening this time, and it's not happening because of ESG and the cost of capital is high. So I think I think the price has to go higher uh, in order to attract that investment. So um, long term, it's actually—I think it's actually kind of scary with regard to oil. I think in the long term, it could be pretty ugly.
1: Yeah. Just to unpack uh, some of the acronyms here for people who don't follow energy markets as closely as you do, uh, e and of course, is exploration and production. Uh, this is the early stage uh, development of, uh, of natural gas, oil, uh, and other uh, assets in the resources space. And ESG uh, is environmental, social, and governance, the trend that we've seen uh, toward uh, wanting to reduce the carbon footprint uh, of the world. And so you see these uh, trends precisely, as you say, uh, playing out uh, with a, an absence of uh, exploration production, production, uh, funds being committed, resources being committed, those are just simply not happening at the rate that you would expect, uh, given this market due to the social pressure from the ESG side.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I, ESG is, I would say, probably about 60% responsible for um, the oil prices that we are enjoying today. So-
1: Jared, how do you come up with that weighting, by the way? how do you? What makes you say 60%? I,
2: I just pulled it out of my ass. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Sounded great. <laughs> you didn't just pull it out of your ass, Jared. This is this is years of watching these markets. The <laughs> intuitions you've built up about this sector. Um, I also, uh, something that you said uh, earlier about the Fed and rate hikes. Uh, boy, I think you're spot on there. And I wanted to actually take a look uh, at a clip uh, here that we ran on Real Vision today, a conversation between Alfonso Pecatiello uh, and Jim Bianco, talking about precisely that point. Uh, this is from a piece called Fed Rates, uh, Inflation and Recession. Actually, I should say it ran yesterday uh, on the plus and pro tier here at Real Vision. Uh, let's take a look at that clip right now.
3: In 2015, they started raising rates. And all the way through the end of 2018, they raised rates to 2 and 3 eighths, broke the repo market in September of 2019. At every stage, it takes a lower and lower level to get to the point where you invert the yield curve and you break something. So when I look at the the terminal funds rate at 175 or 2, I get the argument, oh, that this is a sign that inflation is going to come down, the Fed's going to be gradual, everything's going to be OK, stocks go to 5,300 while inflation is on its way down, and it's all going to be good. I look at it and say, what that means is six rate hikes this year, two more next year, and we'll be on breakage watch. That, that That's all you're going to need to basically invert the curve and break something. And why? $30 trillion of debt, a highly levered economy, highly levered financial markets. Uh, I hear the Dudleys of the world say, "No, we might have to take funds rate, you know, way above the new uh, neutral rate to like four or five percent. We're never going to get to four or five percent. We're going to have a complete mess on our hands long before we ever got to that kind of a rate, uh, you know, to try and rein in an accelerated inflation. We'll go to two and we'll break things, and then we'll then demand will slow, inflation will come down." the fed will say see we we fixed inflation yeah you fixed inflation by causing a recession you know that that's the you know my other analogy in that was like you know i go to the doctor and say you know i've got an infection in my leg and he pulls out the bone saw and says it works every time i was like well that's kind of not the way i wanted you to fix my infection well that's the way the fed is you know you want to get rid of inflation we'll just crash the economy there are there there you go no more inflation Jim Bianco says it so well there, uh, talking about the balance
1: of risk between inflation and recession. Uh, Jared, uh, give us your sense on what's happening with federal funds rate, how the FOMC is thinking about this economy, uh, and what that balance of risk looks like in your analysis and assessment.
3: Well,
2: one thing you have to remember is that there's still like there's the Fed is not unanimous in calling for rate hikes. I mean, there's a lot of Fed members that are dovish i mean we saw mary daly i don't know if it was this week or last week but you know she wanted to hike 25 and then pause um and there's other people on the fed who don't want to hike 50 and i really you know i I, look this is my call i think the fed's going to hike 25 in march i don't think they're going to do 50 um you know i i really don't you know we we just look i was a, a big proponent this was months ago I said, you know, the Fed is behind the curve. They're embarrassed. I was talking about Fed embarrassment. I said, they've been embarrassed by this inflation. They're going to hike a, they're going to hike a bunch of times to catch up. Powell is concerned about his legacy. But at the end of the day, I, it's, it's not unanimous within the Fed, and I don't think they're going to do it. So I think at most, we might get four rate hikes this year, maybe less than that. So I've totally, I've totally changed my tune just in the last week or two.
1: Yeah, and does that suggest, uh, Jared, this uh, perception that markets simply cannot handle 50 basis points, that the U.S. economy simply cannot handle 50 basis points?
2: No, I I think that perception exists. I mean, it absolutely exists, Um, but I don't think it's true. I think the market can handle it just fine. You know, I mean, if you really like the only time uh, in recent history, and I say recent history, the last 50 years, that a Fed rate hike cycle crashed the market and caused a recession was in the early eighties. And like every other time, I mean, even in 1994, you know, the Fed started hiking in February of 1994, they hiked about two or 3%. I don't remember the exact number. In um, the bond market, it, it caused, it caused a lot of problems in the bond market, but stocks really didn't go down that much, you know? So the market can absolutely handle a 50 basis point rate hike can handle a lot of them, but we have this perception that it can. Yeah,
1: it's interesting, uh, sort of basis for comparison, you're talking about a period when I think September 1981, uh, 10-year treasury yields were at uh, over uh, 15.5%. Imagine that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, in the, in the short term, uh, I, I think bonds are going to do very well, let's put it that way. I think it's going to surprise a lot of people. Um, I think you could get 10s back to 1.6 uh, by the middle of March. I think, that's, I think that could happen.
1: Hey, Jared, do me a favor. Unpack that logic, that reasoning for people uh, who are relatively new to the fixed income space, who are just thinking about this in terms of equity markets. That's a, that's a pretty striking call, uh, US 10-year Treasury yield at 1.6%. At at, uh, Give us a sense of what that means and how you're getting there.
2: Well, really, how I'm getting there is with sentiment. I mean, you know, the, the 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 Treasury market operates on sentiment just like stocks do. A lot of people, a lot of people think bonds are rational; they're mathematical. Nothing could be further from the truth, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, here with tens, of, you know, around two percent, you know, people think you know, okay, like rates are going to go to two and a half, mortgages are going to go above four. It's going to choke off the economy. Like people are telling these stories. And just when everybody goes to one side of the boat, then they go the other way. So this is just a short-term call. This is just over the next two to four weeks.
1: Yeah. If you've ever spent a Thursday night out with bond traders, uh, you know that they're not math professors. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the comments here. I just saw Matt Hayes wrote, uh, there's no gold like gold. And And that really is the sentiment we're seeing uh, being priced into markets today with gold and uh, and and the relative uh, differential in terms of uh, daily trade action on uh, on cryptocurrency.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, you know i've I've greatly increased my gold holdings, and uh, it's it's my biggest position. and i have I have that much conviction on it. I know it's it's funny because I have a portfolio full of crap. Uh, I have uh, I have a bunch of stocks that I I don't really have strong feelings about. Um, But, you know, this this chart in gold, this breakout is is one of the most powerful breakouts I've ever seen. And the interesting thing about it is that, you know, as I as I as I read through the comments on Twitter, like not that many people believe it. They're like, oh, I'm just going to wait for another opportunity to short it. Um, I'm like, guys, have you seen the chart? Have you seen the chart? It is, it's, it's, it's a thing of beauty, you know?
1: Yeah. Lots of questions coming in uh, right now to us, Jared. Uh, Any other topics you want to hit on before we switch over to questions?
2: No, let's do questions.
1: Great. So uh, here's a a question from uh, Ralph Humphrey. This is a fun one. Uh, I don't know about this. I'm curious uh, to get your thoughts on it. It's from the RV site. Can Jared elaborate on his thought that Warren Buffett tells people to do the opposite of what he preaches?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I tweeted that out a couple days ago. So I guess Buffett has invested in a Bitcoin exchange startup. I I can't remember the details, but of course, you know,
1: Brazilian, uh, uh, Neo bank, right. Is that
2: the, something like that? Yeah. Um, but Buffett, you know, he says everybody should be in index funds and hedge funds suck. And he runs the biggest hedge fund in the world, you know, like he said for 20 years, that airlines were terrible, that they should have shot down Orville and Wilbur Wright. And then he invests in airlines, by the way, three years too late. He was like, he did it in like 2016. He should have done it in 2013, but he does this all the time. Like he's, you know, so don't listen to what Buffett says, like watch what he does, watch what he does.
1: Uh, here's a question uh, that comes to us from Achilles from The Exchange. This is Real Vision's internal social network. Uh, and the question for you, Jared, is what sectors are you bullish on uh, for 2022?
2: Uh, I, for the whole year, it's kind of hard to look out that far. I mean, I said energy is going to have a pretty big correction, but I think energy still could be the top performer for 2020. Although I will say, I will say that um, over the next couple of weeks, you know, I think we have about 10% downside in stocks, uh, and I think the the Nasdaq's going to get hit worse. Um, there's going to be a buying opportunity in not like not Nasdaq broadly, but a lot of these unprofitable tech. I mean, they're really getting down to bombed out levels. So I think in a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, you might have an opportunity to take a shot. You know, some of the Kathy Wood names. You know, that's what we're talking about here, the Kathy right. Wood names. So
1: yeah I mean, talking of Kathy Woodnames, I think Zoom is off about fifty percent from its highs. How do you know when these start looking like buying opportunities?
2: Uh, eh, it's kind of gut, you know it's uh, it's a good question. I you know, I don't know. it's really it's really subjective. I did see an interesting chart today, Michael Batnick uh, over at Ritholtz, He posted that yeah. he put a, he put up a chart of uh, Zoom and ExxonMobil, and at one point last year, Zoom was worth more than ExxonMobil. And now uh, ExxonMobil is worth ten times more than Zoom, so.
1: I mean that's just a crazy ratio, right? I mean yeah. it just. I mean, if you just look at the at the gross revenue that those companies uh, generate, the differential is just extraordinary.
2: Yeah, I wish I had seen that chart last year. Let's put it that way.
1: very well (laughs) said uh very well said hey listen i wanted to come back to gold because i know it's something that you've been thinking about uh how do you own gold jared uh what do you think of the miners what do you think of the complex in general uh and relative to the physical commodity itself for example
2: uh i mean it's a combination of the etf and the miners you know uh i mean i've you know here's a story so back when I was, you know, running the ETF desk at Lehman Brothers, uh, there was a guy that came by from the World Gold Council. His name was Stuart something or other. And uh, he was with a guy from State Street and they wanted, you know, they wanted to start this gold ETF. And this is like mm-hmm. 2004. Yeah. Um, so I sat in a conference room with this guy and he pulled out a 10 ounce bar and put it on, put it on the table and, and he gave it to us. and You know, you could hold it. And he says, this thing is worth 6,000 bucks. And of course now it's worth 19,000 bucks, right? Um, But anyway, so in order to launch the GLD ETF, we had to sign off, sign on as an authorized participant. So I had like 500 pages of documents I had to read through and stuff like that. But we were one of the first banks to sign up as APs. And I was, you know, after reading all this stuff, I was like, this is such a great product. As soon as it went public i immediately bought some for myself and i have not sold it in 17 years i still have it
1: so i have a question for you jared was that guy george milling stanley from uh, state street who was actually just on real vision i think yesterday
2: uh could have been i don't i don't remember the state street guy's name but could have been
1: yeah he's a a really interesting guy i've interviewed had the pleasure of interviewing him myself and uh, he has really interesting insights and thinks about this in a very deep way uh, in terms of optimal portfolio balance uh, At sharp ratios and some uh, other attributes of investing in gold. It's a great interview if you haven't checked it out on Real Vision. He's actually on with, I think, Rick Rule, I believe, who's obviously a very well-known name uh, in the gold space. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lipson Ads. Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L I B S Y N dot com.
1: Lots of questions, uh, Jared, keep coming in. Here's one from Hannah F. from The Exchange. This is a really interesting one. Once the Fed winds down the purchasing of mortgage-backed securities, who's going to buy all that MBS?
2: Uh, I don't know. I think that, I think the private sector can absorb it. Um, you know, there's, you know, mortgage mutual funds, pension funds, stuff like that. Like I, I, for sure, mortgage rates are going to go higher. I I would say, and I'm Mm going to pull something out of my ass again. Uh, but I would say that the fed buying mortgages has probably lowered mortgage rates by 30 or 40 basis points, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so you will see mortgage rates go up. Um, you know, not egregiously, but yeah.
1: Um,
2: some more
1: comments coming in. They're actually flowing in so fast; it's it's tough to follow them. Uh, here's one that comes to us from Anyasi uh, from YouTube. Uh, hello, what's Jared's opinion on Russia? Uh, perhaps the st- the cheapest stock market in the world, extremely low valuations with very low debt levels. Uh, I don't know. Uh, do you have the stomach to get into Russian equities at this moment?
2: So I actually bought RSX, I want to say two years ago, um, and I didn't have any patience with it and I sold it. Um, there's, there's absolutely going to be a good time. And maybe it's after the invasion, uh, assuming the invasion happens, maybe it's two weeks, four weeks after the invasion. Um, I mean, yeah, Russia trades at a big discount for a good reason. Um, but Talk about cheap stocks and big, big dividends and you know exposure to energy and EM. I mean, it really, really has a lot of things going for it. Interesting.
1: Uh, While we're talking international, here's a question that comes to us from Daniel uh, Wykowski from Real Vision's Exchange. Uh, And the question is to you, what do you think of the thesis uh, for going long China because they are easing into what looks like a pickup in credit growth uh, while the US will likely be hiking uh, in a slowing growth environment?
2: Uh, I mean, I just, as a general rule, don't touch China. Um, but that is, that is kind of interesting. I mean, look like in, in one of my newsletters, uh, I have an EM fund, but it's, it's an ex China fund. Um, it's, uh, the ticker is FRDM. It's the freedom weighted index. I don't know if you heard of that ETF. It's pretty interesting, but it basically leaves out all the bad human rights actors. So it's not just China. It leaves out Russia and stuff like that. And, um, and that ETF, I would say over the last four or five months has outperformed EM by a lot. So I don't know if that performance is going to reverse. I really don't. I just don't have an opinion.
1: Yeah. What is it about China uh, that makes you not want to get involved with it? Is it a transparency in the data issues or there's some other?
2: It's, uh, it's a transparency in the data issues mostly. Um, I mean, I remember when I was at Lehman and this is in the mid two thousands and, You know, China's GDP was printing 8.0% quarter after quarter after quarter. And we're like, what the hell is going on? I mean, this is like Madoff, you know, it's like Madoff's returns. And I mean, it was because eight was a lucky number. And I'm like, this is, this is a joke, you know, like how can anybody analyze this? So people were, people at the time, I mean, this is the mid 2000s. People were looking at like electricity usage to, you know, numbers that you can't fake to right. determine GDP growth, you know. So I, yeah, I just, I can't do it.
1: Yeah. One of the great uh, interviews that we've done at Real Vision uh, is, and I'm, I'm blanking out his name at the moment, is the gentleman uh, who runs China Beige Book, uh, who does the analysis on exactly those uh, questions uh, that you were talking about, things that, that you can't fake, like electricity uh, and some of the other aspects that you can, you can get some transparency on uh, without relying necessarily on the state sponsored data.
2: Yeah, I would love to. I, actually, I'm really interested in that. So let's talk afterwards. I want to I wanna learn more about that.
1: Yeah, that would be fun. Maybe we'll get you guys on together. Yeah. Uh, so, Jared, as you uh, look out to the future here, what are you looking for uh, over the next, uh, say, 30, 60, 90 days uh, with regard to markets, Fed rate policy, which I think you've already talked about a little bit, uh, and, uh, and just the general outlook that you have uh, for this investing environment?
2: Well, you know, like I said, I think things are going to get a little, uh, untidy over the next couple of weeks, uh, probably because of, you know, the imminent invasion. Um, I think it's going to get a little bit ugly, but I, you know, I never, I never believed that this correction would turn into, uh, a 2008, uh, a 2000, a 50% down correction uh, I never really saw that. I you know i've I've the whole time, I've been thinking that this would be about a twenty percent correction, and that would represent a really good buying opportunity. So I think that is actually going to play out.
1: yeah well said. Uh, by the way, Jared, you know what's cool about doing this show? In the uh, YouTube comments, Mick Z uh, told me, Leland Miller, before I could uh, Google it, Leland Miller, of course, runs China pagebook, uh, a great interview, a number of great interviews, I should say, uh, here on Real Vision. Uh, Jared, as we come to the conclusion of this conversation, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our audience with.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think there's still a lot of complacency out there. Um, you know, the, the, this, the initial decline, which has been, I think we're down about 8% or something like that from the highs, you know, the decline has been pretty orderly. Uh, when you saw stocks decline, you really didn't see vol spike. You really didn't see the skew get expensive Uh, credit. Never credit has widened a little bit, but certainly not to panic levels. So this has been a pretty orderly decline, which leads me to believe that the next leg down is going to have an element of panic to it. Okay. And which is good, which is absolutely good. You know, that's opportunities, but um, that's what I think is coming next.
1: And how will you know when that uh, trade is in, what would you be looking for in terms of panic? What would it look like?
2: Uh, I mean, you know, at the, it, it was a Monday. I don't remember the date, but um, we, ha- you know, the day that we had where we were down 4% and up 4% in a single day, it was on a Monday. Do you remember that? in uh, An intraday move? Like that's, that's the type of price action I want to see, like four or five, 6% moves in the index, mm-hmm. uh, fix above 40, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Jared crisply said, thank you again for joining us. Always a pleasure to do this show with you.
2: Oh, thanks a lot.
1: Uh, And thanks for watching, everybody. Great questions. Uh, Maggie will be back tomorrow with Christian Alexander on Real Vision Daily Briefing. As always, the conversation continues on The Exchange. Thanks for watching.
0: What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads.